important announcements, and then I'm going to be uh, bringing the word this morning. I'm excited for the opportunity to talk with you guys. A uh, couple quick things. Uh, first, the community group dinner has been uh, moved and rescheduled to this Tuesday evening. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a last-minute deal. It was a little bit crazy trying to get the word out to everybody. We, uh, the weather was looking like it was going to be bad, and, and on top of that, I caught the brown. Family had come down sick, and uh, so we kind of. I was talking to Brian. He's like, "What can we do?" And uh, we were just throwing around different ideas. How can we make this work? We still we we're gonna have a dinner. We want to talk about community groups, what they mean to the church, and we thought, well, maybe Brian could record a video on his computer and send it to us. And and Brian, kind of the more we talked, Brian was like, "Yeah, we we just he really wanted to be here with us." And so we thought, "All right, we'll we'll reschedule it. We'll make it Tuesday." So Tuesday evening, uh, we'll be getting together at the building. The weather looks uh, non-snowy from what I can tell so far, so I think we'll be all right. Um, but definitely looking forward to sharing a meal, to learning more about community groups. I know Brian is really looking forward to being here with you guys, so excited about that. Uh, Mobilize, the New Frontiers Conference for the, the 20s of the standard deadline is coming up. Uh, one more thing. We have on your seats, you'll notice, little uh, Christmas, Christmas cards. Cards about the Christmas service in two weeks. Uh, we gave everybody two, and those are, those are not for you. Those are to invite people. So uh, take those home with you. Stick them in your car. Stick them in your coat pocket. When you're going out, if you, uh, if you see a friend... Invite them to come with us on the Christmas service. It's going to be uh, just a great time of remembering who Jesus is, of celebrating what he's done in, in the birth of our Savior. Uh, lastly, if you would, just grab out your communication card in that orange bulletin. It's a great way for uh, you guys to communicate with us. If you have uh, updated information, email address, whatever, you can put that in there. Otherwise, uh, prayer requests, comments, uh, just if God's, if God's speaking something to you, you want to engage, you want some help thinking through that, mark that down on the back and drop that in the offering basket at the end of the sermon. And it's a great way to um, communicate. All right, I am, are we okay? We good? Cool. My mic's making funny, funny noises, so hopefully, hopefully it's not my beard. Is it my beard? I like bend it out a little bit. We'll see. The beard's taking over the mic. I was wondering if maybe I could just like hide the microphone in the beard. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, all right. We're going we're gonna to be in Colossians today. So if you uh, grab out the Bible in the seat uh, underneath you or next to you, going to be in page uh, 932, same as we've been for the last few weeks. Excuse me, 982. Page 982. <clears throat> uh, we're continuing the Above All series that uh, Brian's been kicking off for us. We've been going through the last few weeks. Uh, the letter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Colossae. And it's interesting because Paul had actually never been to this church. It wasn't a church he'd planted. Uh, but Paul had, he had started a church in one of the neighboring cities in Ephesus. And because of the work that God did in Ephesus, there was a guy named Epaphras who was 
his heart was lit on fire for Jesus. He wanted more people to hear about Jesus, more towns to hear about Jesus. So he left, he went to the city of Colossae, and he started the church there. So Paul is uh, writing a letter to encourage this church. He's kind of like the church's granddad, in a way, because he was responsible for Epaphras. Epaphras left, was the, the father of that church. Uh, and, and Paul carries that kind of grandfatherly, I love these guys. I want these guys to, to move on in what Jesus has for them. And so he's writing a letter to him. And we've been going through that letter verse by verse. And so uh, today we're going to be up to verse 15. We're in chapter 1 of Colossians. And I've got, uh, I've got one verse today. I think Brian was one to take it easy on me. He thought, let's just, you know, I'll take five verses. We'll just give Seth one verse. He can handle that. So we've, uh, we've got one verse to talk about today. This is chapter 1, verses 15. Talking about Jesus, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's actually, I joke about that, there's, there's tons of stuff here for us to unpack. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, Christmas is, is coming up in just a couple weeks. How, uh, have, has anyone here finished their Christmas shopping? Any, wow, Susan, I'm impressed. Larry, you finished? Yeah, I, so I, I haven't started yet. <clears throat> I applaud you guys. You guys are forward lookers. Uh, usually, Christmas shopping for me, I'll, I'll, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's Christmas parties and, and things to be involved in. And it's like about a week before Christmas, I'll realize Christmas is next week. I'll start to do the math. I'm like, okay, that's less than seven days. Uh-oh. And then I'll start rushing around and trying to figure out, okay, what can I, what can I get for the kids? What can I get for Shannon? And uh, it ends up being actually kind of stressful. But when, <laughs> when, we're, when we're giving gifts, I mean, I, there's this like, I don't want to just... I want, to, I want to make the gifts good, you know? Like, especially for my family. I want them to know that I, that I care about them, that I love them. I don't want to just get them some gift card or some, some cheap thing that, I, that doesn't mean anything to them, you know? You want, to, you want your gifts to mean something. And I was thinking about, as I was reading this scripture, thinking about gifts, and uh, it, it kind of hit me, you know, we, we give gifts. I mean, we give them to people so that they can have something nice. But we actually give gifts to say something about ourselves. So I, I give Shannon a gift, not just so she can have a gift, but I, I want her to know that I care about her. So the gift says something about me, right? And if I, you know, if I get her something that's, you know, I don't know, subpar or last minute or not thought out, that, that's not just like, a knock on her because she doesn't get something nice. It says, oh, you, were, you, were, you weren't as big of a deal. You were a last minute thought. You know, that says that I, it explains something about me that I wasn't thinking of her. So we, we give gifts. We give gifts for us in a way. It says something about who we are. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got a few pictures here. What, what would you think if someone gave you, uh, if someone gave you this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. You laugh, right? Now, maybe if you asked for it, it would be all right. But like if someone gave you that, you'd think, okay, maybe they're trying to tell me something. Maybe my house is messy. Or, or how about this? What if someone gave you this? Right? Don't take notes here. Guys, do not give these things to your wives for Christmas. 
Or, uh, or how about this sweater here? What if someone gave you this? <laughs> that's, uh, that's my good friend Jordan. I warned him that I was going to use him as an illustration of my preaching. He leads worship in the St. Louis City location. But uh, we, when we give good gifts, it speaks well of us. It says something about us. I mean, parents, we want to give good gifts to our kids. We want them to know that we love them and care about them. And, uh, and as children, we want to give gifts to our parents, maybe just so they don't think we forgot about them, or, or maybe because so we can say, look, we, we appreciate you guys. I'm glad you're my parents. I love you guys. We want to show our parents love. We want, we want people to know us and to know what we're like and to know what we think about, so we give gifts. And I think similarly, God is like that. He wants, he wants to be known. He wants us to know what he's like. And, and so he has given us the gift of Jesus. Not just, not just for our benefit, although Jesus has been is life-changing, is hugely beneficial, but it's so we can know something about God. It's like, like the verse says, Jesus is, is the perfect image of the invisible God. God wants us to know him. And we, we kind of see this throughout all of scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. God is, is speaking to people, he's breaking in, he's creating, he's leading and guiding. God, God's always wanted to be known. He, did, he doesn't hide away in heaven. He wants to be known. But nowhere do we see such a clear picture of who God is than through Jesus. So God didn't just settle for writing a letter or sending us a postcard he, the the all-knowing, all-powerful God, the God that we sang about this morning, the indescribable, uncontainable God became human, wrapped himself in human flesh. God, he did the biggest thing he could have possibly done by making himself small. And, and God spoke to us in the clearest language that we have, the language of humanity. He became human so that he could speak to us. He became human, so there would be no question. I mean, sometimes I hear people, uh, you know, they'll, they'll start to hypothesize or think, what is, what is God like? What would God do in, in this situation or that situation? Or what does God think about this? We don't have to wonder about that because we have Jesus. We can see, we can read the stories of Jesus and we see the things that got Jesus excited, that he was uh, happy about, the things that pleased him, the things that surprised him. And we see the things that, that frustrated him. We see the things that made him angry. We see the things that he cared about and he cried about. We see his friends. We see the people who, who were his enemies. We, we have this perfect picture of God in the person of Jesus. He was, he was perfectly God in the most humanly way possible. He, he spoke our language. Jesus, the, the image of the invisible God. That's what we're looking at this morning. And, and there are actually, I mean, there, there are a thousand things we could talk about, about who God is this morning. But uh, I don't think I have the stamina for a three-day sermon. And uh, I don't know if you guys want to listen to me for three days anyway. So I've cut the, I've cut the list down to three things. You know, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it legit here. So three things that uh, just hit me as I was thinking about the life of Jesus that I want to talk about, things that we can learn about who God is, about the character of God. So number one, God is interested in normal life. Number two, God is not easily impressed. And, and number three, and most importantly, God is love. 
Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. Like I said, there are, there are thousands of things we can learn about God through Jesus. We'll have all eternity to learn about God. But these are, these are three that I wanted to highlight this morning. <clears throat> so number one, excuse me, let me grab my cup of water here. God is interested in normal life. So it's interesting, Jesus' first miracle, the very first miracle he ever worked when he was on earth, <clears throat> he was at a wedding party. Uh, I think he had, he had tagged along with his mom, it sounded like, who was also there. And uh, he's just enjoying himself, hanging out with some friends. And uh, suddenly the <clears throat> servants come to him and they say, Jesus, we've ran out of wine. And, you know, for us, that'd be kind of a downer, you know, the, the bar runs out and you think, oh, this is, this is going to be a lame wedding. <laughs> yeah. So, but this, this was actually even worse in Middle Eastern culture because wine was, it was a symbol of joy. It was a symbol of hospitality. Hospitality in that culture was an even bigger deal than in our culture. I mean, it is a big deal here, but just huge there. So running out of wine would have been a humiliation. It would have been a shame. I mean, the whole family would have been shamed. It would have been awful. And so, so they come to Jesus. They say, look, we've run out of wine. And, and at first Jesus is kind of like, what does this have to do with me? You know, but uh, I think somewhere in there, he heard God speak to him. He decided to get involved. And so Jesus tells the servants, he says, hey, Go get, some, uh, go get these big stone jars. Go fill them up with water. So they take these big stone jars and they lug them out. They go to the well. They fill them up with water. They bring them back. Jesus says, all right, take these stone jars. Bring them to the master of the feast, the guy who's in charge of this. And they uh, bring, him, bring them to the master of the feast. And the master of the feast tastes it. And he says, why have you held the best wine for last? You know, normally you get out the good stuff at the beginning. And once people have you know, had some, then you bring out the worst stuff and nobody knows the difference by then. But uh, the, the master of the feast says, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. What? And he, he doesn't know. And Jesus worked this miracle. And it, I, was, I was thinking about this story and you think, okay, the, Jesus, Jesus wielded the, creator, the creative power of almighty God the same power we were singing about that, that flung the stars into space, that formed the mountains, that dug out the oceans, that created everything from nothing. Jesus wielded that power to save a dinner party. Really? Is that, does that seem weird to you guys? That's crazy. Really? He used, he used his great power to save some guy's wedding party. And... The, the amazing thing about this is, is that the very first miracle that Jesus did, there was, from what I can tell from reading the story, there was no spiritual significance whatsoever. There was, Jesus didn't forgive anyone's sins. He didn't teach any parables. He didn't like come out with a lesson at the end. Now that I've turned this water into wine, we can all learn that, you know, blah, 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 and live our lives different. There's nothing he, he just saved, the, saved this guy's party. That was it. There was, there was nothing particularly spiritual about it. But this is, this is a huge part of who God is. Jesus, the perfect image of the invisible God, with his first miracle was telling us, 
God is interested in everyday life, in your normal life. God is, God is not uninterested in you. He cares about us. He cares about us on Sunday morning. He cares about us on Wednesday night. He cares about us at the prayer meeting, and he cares about us at the business meeting, at the community meeting, at the town hall meeting. He cares about us when, when we're at our best, when things are going well. He cares about us when we've forgotten to order enough food for our dinner party. God cares about us. He cares about normal life. And I know I'm, I'm guilty so often of compartmentalizing life. I know I've heard that um, guys do this more than girls. I don't know. I'm a guy, so I don't know how girls think. But it's, it's easy to say, okay, this is, my, this is my work life right here. And it goes from, you know, eight to five in the afternoon. And this is my family life here. It starts after the work life and ends as soon as I can get the kids to bed or a little bit later if they don't go to bed. This is my personal life that happens uh, not very much anymore because I have kids. You know, this is my, this is my married life. We, we kind of segment it all off. And then it, and then it starts to feel like these parts of life are competing, you know, like oh, I've got to balance my work and home life. I hear that. I've heard that a lot. I used to work at a big office, kind of office space style in this. We have a good work-life balance. What's that? Like you're balancing two different lives, like you have two different lives. Jesus, Jesus was saying to us, look, there's, there's not a spiritual life and a normal life. There's not the part of life you give to God and the other part. It's all life. And God cares about all of it. He doesn't, he doesn't just care about the Sunday morning meetings. God cares about you. He cares about every part of you, all of your life. And and the other thing we see from this story, from Jesus' first miracle, we see that it's not just the important people that God cares about. It's not just the influential people that God cares about. I mean, this, the guy who Jesus saved his wedding party, we don't even know his name. His name wasn't even in the Bible. I mean, we just know the town he was in. He was in the town of Cana. But this guy doesn't have a name. I, I would guess probably just an average Joe. Maybe, maybe not even very well off. Maybe he just didn't have enough money for all the wine. Maybe he w- was, was down on his luck, was having a hard time. God, I mean, God, ca- God cares about everybody. You don't have to be influential. You don't have to feel like you're, you're important or you're making something out of your life for God to care about you. I mean, have you ever thought, God, has, God probably has more important people to deal with. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered... Maybe God's too busy for me. Maybe he's just dealing with, you know, guys like Brian. Guys who are making a, making a big impact. What am I doing? I'm not doing anything. No, God, God cares about you. He's interested in you. God, if God cares enough to save the dinner party of a no-named husband who forgot to buy enough wine, God cares enough about you and what's going on in your life. God is, God is interested in normal life. Secondly, something we see in the life of Jesus, God is not easily impressed. And uh, let, me, let me explain this a little bit. Uh, some, something I found interesting with the life of Jesus, I mean, we see these, these kind of cartoon movies or pictures of Jesus and the long flowing hair and the white robes and everybody loved him. But actually, Jesus, Jesus made some people angry. He, he argued with some people. There were some people who didn't like Jesus. 
And uh, it wasn't his disciples. It wasn't the, the sinners or the tax collectors. It wasn't even the drinkers or the partiers. It was actually the people Jesus frustrated the most and who frustrated him the most were the religious people of the day, interestingly enough. And uh, throughout Jesus' life, we see story after story of this, this back and forth uh, between Jesus and a group of people called the Pharisees. Uh, they were the religious leaders, one of the groups of the main religious leaders. And as far as religious people go, the Pharisees, like, they were, I mean, you've got to give them credit. They were good, all right? Well, I was, I was reading up a little bit on the Pharisees, and, and listen to this. Between the ages of 6 and 12, part of their schooling was they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. So that would be like, See, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, about that much, all of it, word for word memorized. Then the next six years from 12 to 18, they memorized the rest of the Old Testament, you know, because they had time on their hands. (laughs) So that's like that much, right? Word for word memorized. And these guys like all, all the rules in the book of Leviticus, all that stuff that we speed read through when we're starting a new Bible reading plan, where it's like, whoa, was this for real? They kept all those rules. And they, had, they even had other rules around those rules so they wouldn't break those rules. It's like rules protecting the rules. It got a little crazy. But the, these, guys, these guys were like the, the, the top of the heap. They, they did everything right. And here's what Jesus said about them. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. See, Jesus looked at these guys and he realized, okay, they they have all the Bible that they had at that time, all the Old Testament, they had the whole thing memorized. Jesus, Jesus saw it for what it was. It was just a show. He says, look, you're hypocrites. You clean everything nice outside. You dress up nice. You look good. You say all the right things. You pray the good prayers on Sunday morning. But you don't care about me. You're just greedy and you're self-indulgent. You just care about yourself. Jesus wasn't impressed. God, God is not impressed by a show. And you, you look at guys like the Pharisees and then I was thinking about myself. What, what chance do I have to impress God? I haven't memorized the Old Testament. That's crazy. I mean, and, and it, it can be easy for us to kind of slip into this. It's just something that, that we can slide into in life. Okay, I'm just going to keep God happy. I'll, I'll go to a Sunday morning meeting. I'll come to a prayer meeting. I'll come to the community group dinner and, and God will be happy with me. God, God's not impressed, guys. He's not impressed by us doing the right stuff. If, if the Pharisees didn't impress Jesus, we haven't got a chance. I mean, seriously, those guys seemed impressive and Jesus was not impressed. But the, the, thing, the thing that Jesus was not impressed by was they were not interested in knowing Jesus and knowing who God is and seeing God for, for who he really was. They were interested in following the rules. They were interested in looking good in public. They were interested in, in being in control of controlling things themselves. They weren't interested in following Jesus. They weren't interested 
in being honest and having their hearts shaped. And so it's, it's something we have to ask ourselves constantly. Why am, I, why am I doing this? What's my motivation? Am I, just, am I just here so that God will be happy? Am I just here so that other people will think, oh yeah, he's, he's a good person, he goes to church. Or, or am I here because I really want to hear God? I really want to draw close to him. It's, it's a lot more work to be honest. It's easier to put on a show, isn't it? You don't have to think about it. You just, you say the right words. It's harder to be honest. That's, honesty is what, what impresses God. God is, God is much more impressed by someone who, who has missed a month of Sundays and comes to him and says, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I wanna, I wanna draw close to you. I haven't, I haven't been honoring you with my time. I wanna know you. Than someone who, who never misses a meeting, who all, never misses uh, putting money in the tithe basket. God, God is impressed by our honesty and by our heart to know him. It's not easily impressed, not impressed by a show. Third, God is love. This is the most, the most important, the, the main point. And uh, I'm actually going to tie in the, the second half of the verse. <clears throat> so the first half of the verse we read this morning, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. The second half, Jesus is the, the firstborn of creation. And uh, I first read this verse, I thought, well, that, this, it feels like kind of separate. Like what does Jesus' birth order have anything to do with God or the image of God. That seems kind of weird. And how am I going to tie that in? But uh, I think to, to kind of get the full story here, we have to jump back to the Old Testament a little bit and hit a story a ways back. And I think that'll make things a little bit more clear. So uh, there, there was a story in the book of Genesis uh, about two sons. One of them's name, uh, the oldest son's name was Esau. The younger son's name was Jacob. And Esau was uh, what you might call a man's man. It's probably like a lot of you guys here. He, uh, he was good looking. You're welcome. He, uh, he liked hunting and fishing. He loved the outdoors. He was also very hairy. So kind of like a lot of us here. Uh, he worked hard. He had calloused hands. He was a man of the outdoors. And uh, he was his father's favorite. He was the firstborn, Esau. And Jacob, the younger son, is more of an indoorsy kind of guy. Uh, probably a little bit less, like a lot of us here. He was not hairy at all. Couldn't grow a beard to save his life. Uh, he didn't like hunting, didn't like getting his hands dirty. Uh, if he lived now, he'd probably like to stay indoors and work on computers, a little bit like me, I suppose. He had, he had soft hands, no calluses. And he was his mother's favorite. Jacob. Now, in the culture they were in, being, being the firstborn was very significant. It wasn't, wasn't just like it is nowadays when if you're the firstborn, you just kind of break mom and dad in. I mean, for me, I was, I was the firstborn and kind of, I see my brother grow up and you think, man, you had it easy. Like I got all the, I got all the discipline and the grounding and you just got a waltz right through here. But being, being the firstborn back then, it entitled you to two things. First of all, you got a, a double portion of your father's inheritance. So when your father passes away, he's dividing up the family estate. Firstborn gets, gets twice as much as any of the other kids. 
And uh, secondly, the firstborn also would get a special blessing from the father that none of the other kids would get. And so one day in our story uh, with Esau and Jacob, their father was getting old. He said, uh, he came to Esau and he said, Esau, I'm, I'm getting old. It's time for me to give you your inheritance, to give you your blessing. And so Esau's, Esau's excited about this. He's, he's sad that his father's going to pass away soon, but he's excited for the inheritance. And so his father says, Esau, let's do this. Why don't you get your bow, uh, go out, do some hunting, come back, we'll grill it up, we'll share a meal together, and I'll give you your inheritance, and I'll bless you. We'll have some manly bonding time. And Esau's like, yeah, that's great. So he, he puts on his hunting gear, he grabs his bow and arrow, he goes out and starts to hunt. Uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, their mother and uh, Jacob were eavesdropping in the other room, and they... uh, Jacob took after his mother in that he was a liar and a cheater. And so he thought, you know what? I bet I could like trick my dad into giving me the blessing. And his mom was like, yeah, you should do this. And so they, um, his mom goes and cooks up a lamb. They, uh, they take the lamb's uh, skin, the wool, and they like glue it to Jacob's arms and his, and at the back of his neck, because like I said, Jacob was not hairy at all. And he goes in and he, he takes one of his brother's jackets and he puts it on. So he smells like his brother. And uh, you're kind of thinking, okay, this, this can't be a good idea. I mean, I've heard, I've heard ideas of kids like, you know, putting on ten, 10 pairs of underwear so they're not going to get spanked, you know, so it won't hurt. And you think, what were you thinking? You're like, what are you thinking, Jacob? But, but actually, so his father was pretty old. Uh, it said in the Bible that his sight was going, so he couldn't see very well. And uh, you know, when people, when people get old, they start to, start to lose it up here. So you think, well, maybe, this, like, maybe he could slide this one through. Maybe it'll work out for him. Uh, so Jacob goes in. He's, he's got this piping hot plate of food, takes it into his father. He says, Father, I'm, I'm Esau. I'm here for the blessing. And his, his dad's kind of like, well, you don't really sound like Esau, but just come over here so I can, so I can feel you because I know my son's hairy. Esau's hairy. So he, Jacob comes close. He touches him. He thinks, well, this guy's hairy. Okay. You know, he smells the outdoors on him from the clothes. And, and so his dad, you know, he thinks, well, maybe my hearing's going bad just like my eyesight. So it's probably Esau. And so he blesses him. So Jacob gets the blessing. And, uh, and that kicks off a whole chain of events later. But, but the, the, this story is actually connected to what Paul is saying about Jesus being the firstborn. So when, when Paul writes to the church in Colossians, he's saying, hey, Jesus is the firstborn of creation. What, he, what he's not primarily saying is Jesus just came first chronologically. Like he was just, he just existed before us. That's not, that's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is Jesus was the firstborn uh, in, in order of importance, in order of significance. Jesus is the first. He's the primary. He's the most significant. Jesus was the one who deserved the double inheritance from God the Father. Jesus was the one who deserved the blessing. Jesus should have gotten the blessing. 
And, and he did deserve it. I mean, we see through the life of Jesus, we, we read the stories about people who have witnessed to him that said he, he didn't sin once. He didn't, there wasn't anything wrong about him. Not one evil thought, not one evil deed. He lived a perfect life. Jesus deserved in every way the blessing from God. He deserved the double inheritance from God. But instead of of taking the blessing like he deserved, Jesus gave up the blessing and he offers it to us. He he tells us, hey, you, you can have forgiveness because I take your punishment. I mean, the Bible talks about us as Christians. It says we're in Christ. And that's, that's kind of a, it's like, what does that really mean, being in Christ? It's a little bit like, like Jacob was in Esau. Like he, he put on Esau's clothing. He put on uh, this, this hairy sheepskin. And so he got, he got the blessing because he was in Esau. Not because he deserved it, but just because he was in Esau. And, and we, similarly to that, we can come, we can be in Jesus. We can put our faith in Jesus. We can come to the Father God and we can, we can say, look, it's not because of anything I did. I'm not the firstborn. I didn't live a perfect life. I have issues. But, but in, because of Jesus' life, because he was perfect, we get, we get the blessing that Jesus deserved. We get the double inheritance that Jesus deserved. He gives it to us freely. That's, that's the most important thing we see about God. God is love. Not just, that, not just that God does loving things, but he actually is love. Everything God does is love. It's, it's outward. It's giving. It's, it's thinking of others more than himself. Jesus gave his blessing, gave up what he deserved and should have rightly had. A great cost to himself. He gave it to us. We, John 15, 13, I think we have this up on the screen. Uh, it says this, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. If Jesus gave his very life for us, if he did the most loving act in all of history, gave his life and, and we see that Jesus is the perfect representation of God. The, the perfect image of the invisible God. Then what is, what is God like then? How loving is God? If Jesus is the perfect image of God and he gave everything, didn't hold back a thing. God is, God is love. God is full of love for us. He doesn't hold back from us. If he, if he gave his own son... What, what more could he give us? He's not going to hold anything back from you. The great preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, he said this. He said, remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. I'll read that again. This, it took me a few minutes to like, what's he saying? He said, remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. What he's saying is, God is so full of love for you. He cares about you so much. If there was a better place for you to be right now, God would have put you there. That's, that's huge. Now, not to, not to minimize the difficulties we live through, but the, God is so powerful that he can take even the pain 
and the, the wrongs that have been done to us and the wrongs we've done to other people, God can take that and he can, he can redeem it. He can just flip it on its head and make it beautiful. He can bring forgiveness. He can bring freedom. He can bring joy where there's pain. God, God loves you guys. He loves us so much. He wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to know him. So I sent Jesus. He wants to be known. Let's, uh, we're going to have Jordan come up. We'll have the band come up here. Lead us in the song. <clears throat> we'll worship God. Well, if you filled out your communication card, if you would uh, just drop it in the basket, we'll have a few guys pass those around here in a minute. But uh, I, I want us to, before we jump up and sing, just consider, consider how we can respond to God. I mean, maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, maybe, it, you know, God, it, God is really interested in me and my life. Maybe God's starting to help you realize that. Maybe uh, the a next step for you would be to return God's interest, to, to be interested in him back, to, to open up the Bible and start to look at the life of Jesus, to learn more about who God is, about how he loves you, about how he cares for you. Maybe there are things in your life that you've realized, hey, I'm just doing, the only reason I'm doing this is to impress people. It's just a show. Just, maybe you need to just stop trying to impress people and just be honest with God and say, hey, there's, this is where I'm at, God. I feel like, I feel like I've wanted to impress people. I feel like I've wanted to, I've needed to impress you. Let God speak to you. Let him, let him tell you how much he loves you, that you don't need to impress him. He's a father. He's not a boss that you have to earn a promotion for. He's not some guy up there with a checklist making sure you've done all the right things. Now he's a father. He wants, he wants to have a relationship with you. Maybe, maybe a next step for you is to receive the blessing that we have in Jesus. To put on, put on Jesus' righteousness. To come to God and say, God, I'm not here because of anything I've done. It's because of Jesus. Because he was perfect and I'm, I will accept the blessing and the inheritance. I mean, sometimes we can, we can downplay the work of God. We say, oh no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just such a sinner. I don't deserve anything. We, we deserve God's blessing and his freedom. Not because we've done anything, because Jesus earned it. We, we, we deserve it because of what Jesus did. Don't, don't be ashamed to come to God. He wants to fill you full of joy. He wants to fill you full of love. We want to draw near to God. We're going we're gonna to sing part of a song and then uh, we're going to take communion this morning to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, so let's stand together. Uh, this is also uh, the time of the meeting where we uh, give our tithes and offerings for those of us who call this church home. Uh, if you just drop that in the basket, we... We do this out of worship, not because we feel obligated, not to impress anybody, not to impress God. Uh, It's because we want to honor him. Uh, So just drop that in the basket. We'll sing, and then I'll be back up to, to lead us in communion. We're going to take communion together, so let's come up. 
Uh, we'll get the get the bread, get the cup, and I'll I'll lead us all together in uh, taking communion. He went to the cross. He uh, broke bread with his disciples. He he drank wine. He said, "Do this when you gather. Do this in remembrance of me. This is why. This is why we can be in the presence of God. This is why we have forgiveness." This is why we get the blessing of the firstborn. This is why we get the, the double inheritance. It's because Jesus, because he, he gave up his life for us. Because his blood was shed. Because his body was, was bruised and torn and crucified on that cross. He took, that was what we deserved. We deserve death. We, we haven't done anything to deserve life. We can't measure up to God. We can't impress him. Jesus, Jesus deserved it. He gave up his life for us. So we're, we're going to take the bread. We're going to take the cup. We're going to remember and celebrate what Jesus has done. Jesus, so grateful for you. So grateful for your, your sacrifice. The perfect image of God. You would you said when they Jesus, you said when they were coming to take you away. You said, Don't you know? I could just call down ten thousand legions of angels. If I didn't want to do this, I didn't have to do it. Jesus, thank you that you you've loved us that much. You you contained your power. You submitted yourself to mockery. Submitted yourself to death so that we could have life, God. Thank you so much. We enjoy we enjoy your blessing today, God. Continue to draw us close to you, God. Continue to open our eyes to to areas where we're just living for ourselves, God. We want to we wanna enjoy your freedom. We want to live for you. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for what you've done. We celebrate you, Jesus. You're worth it all. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I hope you guys have a good week. We'll uh, see you soon.